um, fell in love with the UK, um, fell in love with my husband, which helped as well, <laughs> and uh, who was a Brit, and ended up staying over there for a very long time, um, having a couple of kids, and then came back to New Zealand. Um, so we help them with, with the mechanism, we set the fund up, we earmark um, the funds, we invest them um, for growth, obviously, hopefully, and then we do due diligence on the entities, the charitable organisations that they would like to grant out to, check all their credentials, make sure that they are uh, legit, obviously, and also that they're having the impact that the donor wants them to have. Purposely Podcast speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. A really warm welcome to episode 64 with Cheryl Spain, CEO of Donor Advised Fund, The Gift Trust. Cheryl has spent a significant amount of time in the UK, now back in New Zealand. We talk about that transition and how difficult it was. We also hear about effective forms of philanthropy and giving. Enjoy. A really warm welcome to Purposely Podcast. You are the CEO of the Gift Trust. What's its mission and purpose? Uh, Well, the Gift Trust really exists to help uh, people to give generously and to simplify their generosity. So we try and connect donors to charitable organisations and giving should be an easy task, but actually once people start giving at quite a high level, it's not as easy as people think think it should be and we're here we exist really to help donors to to give more effectively and with a bigger impact and to help them do so as easily as possible and to give our audience a bit of feel for scale so like funds under management annual um giveaway if you like what, yeah what... we have around about eight and a half million dollars currently um held in funds with the gift trust and last year we gave about 1.7 million dollars away to charitable causes. That fluctuates every year, of course. It just depends what donors want to do with their funding. And we're growing. We're on a, quite a big growth curve at the moment, which is great. Yeah, wonderful. And um, your slogan is make good happen. So I was going to call you the chief of making good happen, but um, I love that. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. Maybe I'll change it on my business card. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we do. We've just checked. We've just recently gone through a bit of a... Um, rebranding we're a fairly small um, organization and have been quite low-key and quite bespoke but last year we just decided to to be a bit um, invest in ourselves and start thinking about how we talk about ourselves so the make good happen was part of that we changed our logo it was really exciting for us as a small organization just to dive deep into why we do what we do and it is about making good stuff happen in the world really because we're all about um, getting important funding to charitable initiatives back into the history of the organization so started around or just after the global financial recession yes it started yes that's right well it started around um 2009 I think so a bit before my time at the gift trust I've been on board the gift trust for about five years but it started very small and the founding story really was that a family uh, moved over from the states to New Zealand and they were looking for Um, The technical term for what we do is a donor advised fund, which is a common term in the States, doesn't really have as much traction here in New Zealand, but they were looking essentially for a fund 
that they could put funding into and distribute it to charitable causes. And they looked around in New Zealand and couldn't really find such a thing. There's a lot of um, entities in New Zealand, as you know, like community foundations and community trusts, um, which are wonderful and they're very locally focused. But they were looking for something which was a bit more flexible and that they could give nationally or locally or even internationally. Um, and it didn't exist. And so they started talking to a range of people who ended up being some of our early trustees. And that's how the Gift Trust was born, really. And those um, very original donors, founding donors, are still donors with us today, which is a nice story. And it's been passed on to the next generation and their family. Wonderful. And there was a link to a uh, sustainable finance company? That's right. So originally, the Gift Trust operated under the umbrella of Prometheus Finance, who are sadly no longer around, but they were a sustainable finance company. And it just it seemed like a nice fit with them. Um, the Gift Trust was originally called Prometheus Gift Trust, and it was always a separate charitable entity, but it appealed to those types of investors who were um, perhaps on one side, they were investing their capital in impact-driven organizations or entities, and on the other side, they wanted to give the money away philanthropically. So it was a nice fit. But uh, Prometheus Finance, um, sadly, um, just, you know, no longer is around. It was a bit of an idea too soon, I think, actually, for its time, because actually yeah. these days, impact investment is a huge thing. But uh, back then, it wasn't quite such a, a big concept for New Zealand. So um, the Gift Trust went it alone, and we changed the name to just the Gift Trust, which I think does what it says on the tin, which is rather nice. Yeah. And you're a charity set up as a charity? That's right. Yeah. We have a board, wonderful board of trustees. Yep. And just give me a feel for, on the donor advice piece, just mm. the kind of structure of it and how you, what cut you guys take, what mm. sort of service you offer. If a donor walks towards you and says, I've got some money, I want to invest, give away to good causes, um, or may, maybe even just give an example of one that you could talk about. Sure. Um, it's called the Namaste Fund. And that was set up by uh, a wonderful family, two brothers, in fact, uh, Matthew and Brian Monaghan who are looking to fund a range of causes. They do a lot of environmental grants. They also do um, sort of justice equity type grants as well. Um, so we help them with, with the mechanism. We set the fund up, we earmark um, the funds, we invest them um, for growth, obviously, hopefully. And then we do due diligence on the entities, the charitable organizations that they would like to grant out to. Check all their credentials, make sure that they are uh, legit obviously and also that they're having the impact that the donor wants them to have but on the other side of things the other type of service we provide is we give advice and guidance and support so we can do all sorts of research into um, different sectors uh, within the charity sector if a donor comes to us for example and says we had one recently who was very interested in uh, freshwater river conservation, but they didn't really know what type of charitable entities there were doing that type of work. We can go off and find information and then present it back to the donors and they ulti ultimately make the decisions, but we just are a, uh, an independent you know, guide along the way. Um, so we bring that robust due diligence and evidence to their decision-making. Wonderful. born in New Zealand were you but disappeared mm -hmm. off to the UK? I did yeah so I grew up in, uh, in Wellington and I left when I was about 
23 on the big OE, as many of us do, <laughs> and ended up in the UK. I spent actually spent three years, first of all, in Japan, but ended up in the UK. And I stayed away from New Zealand for about 20 years. Well, I lived away for 20 years. I came back for holidays, of course, but um, it was a it was a yeah a, a bit longer than I originally anticipated. Um, fell in love with the UK. Um, fell in love with my husband, which helped as well, <laughs> and uh, who was a Brit, and ended up staying over there for a very long time, um, having a couple of kids, and then came back to New Zealand only about six years ago. So it's been quite a journey. Yeah, and you were involved in the nonprofit sector over there. What's what mm-hmm. sort of jobs did you hold there? What sort of my um, I ha- I personally have quite a, a passion and an interest in environmental causes um, and also social justice I suppose broadly you'd say so um, I've always worked in non-profits uh, for my whole career but my last job in the UK um, was for an organization called Groundwork Hertfordshire who most people won't have heard of um, and or certainly not in New Zealand but uh, they're not a household name in the UK but they're actually rather a big organization they do a lot of interesting work on Uh, particularly things like uh, large housing estates in the UK with uh, disadvantaged communities. And they um, do all sorts of environmental, local environmental projects and building infrastructure. So things like um, playgrounds, play spaces, pocket parks, guerrilla gardening, growing projects for schools, those sorts of things. And my role with them was... um, essentially project development, setting up these projects and uh, getting all the different community partners on board. So I did a lot of work with things like councils and housing associations and community groups, uh, bringing them together and, and trying to work out um, how, to, how to get these things off the ground. Wonderful. And was coming home a difficult decision? Your, your partner's a Brit. Um, yeah. And what was, what was the transition like? Wow, as you probably know, because I think you've done it recently, more recently than me, it's quite a process. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was a tough decision, um, especially having lived away for 20 years. And my jobs in the UK were fantastic. I mean, the job opportunities over there are so, so good. I loved, always loved New Zealand, but I think I'd been away for so long. I just thought um, I was an honorary Brit and couldn't quite imagine myself over here. But it came down to family, as these things often do. I have, you know, elderly parents and one of them started getting a bit ill and I started thinking, well, if I'm going to do it, we should do it soon. So worked on the husband for a little while, but he didn't take much convincing. Um, <laughs> and when we came, came back, but yeah, it's certainly it was a big transition, um, harder than going off on the other side when you're a 23-year-old to the other side of the world, I think, when you have no obligations, really. Yeah, definitely. Um, and how old were your children when they came back? Or came uh, to? I had a one-year-old and a five-year-old when we came back to New Zealand. Yeah, so yeah. all of those complications, you know, settling them into schools and, and finding jobs for for me. My husband's self-employed, so he, he had to set his business up from scratch. So that was all, all difficult, but we're very pleased we did it now. Yeah. Yeah. And what are the big differences that you see in the sort of non-profit sector between UK and New Zealand? Obviously really developed over there. And I sort of throwing in there that the scale of things in the UK is, is big, isn't it? So, mm. you know, there'd be a good chance you'd be running an, your organisation with 80 million in funds mm. under management. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. What, were the, what were the big differences? Yeah, scale and size is a big thing. Uh, but the sorts, I mean, yes, it is much more complex over there and mature I suppose you'd say in the UK and particularly the the philanthropy sector I mean 
it's interesting. I'd always worked on the non-profit side and often on in fundraising roles, but this role at the Gift Trust since coming back to New Zealand has been my first role in philanthropy, although I'd often worked with grant makers from the other side. Um, but I think, you know, grant making and philanthropy in the UK is a really mature sector and, um, you know, it's it's incredibly interconnected and people having things like donor advised funds is just totally common practice whereas here a lot of this stuff is still quite new people um, still give I think in New Zealand a little bit as if they're small you know even the ones who give large tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars still in some ways give as if they're small donors and um, and I think some of the charities haven't caught up as well with how to respond to those types of donors and um, how to bring them close and show them the work and the impact that they do. So that's something that I think we're still catching up with in New Zealand. But then again, gosh, there's some great stuff. There's some fantastic things about working in New Zealand, like the interconnectedness of everyone. That's what I love about it. Mm. You know, I can get yeah. on the phone to somebody and um, ask for a connection and they'll connect me to somebody else. And you're only ever two or three steps removed from whoever you need to speak to. And that's just so much harder in the UK. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think everyone will meet you for a coffee here. Exactly. Might not, might not, might not meet you for the second coffee. They'll meet you for the first one. I think solving the world's problems. Um, do you think these, and you guys play a really crucial role in that kind of conversation between the doer and the funder, but is this um, more risks that we need to take um, when it comes to solving social problems and, and that third sector, as they call it in the UK, um, you know, able to do the work that they do because they have um, the knowledge of, um, you know, whether it's a social issue or environmental issue. But do, yeah, do you think we need to give our permission to our nonprofits to take risk with the way they set up to solve problems? Mm, I definitely think we do. And I also think that that's where philanthropic um, funding from from donors uh, comes into the fore because um, donors can take risks and 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 a lot of donors do and philanthropic funding because it's untagged often is really important funding that can be used for those riskier new projects that perhaps government contract funding that some charities get can't be used for because it's tagged to a particular thing or you know, funding that comes in tagged for a variety of, of things can't be used for. So I think that playing um, playing in that space, um, philanthropic funding is really important. And I think, you know, it's only through doing these, what some people might call riskier projects, is that those charities will learn about what works and some of these big, huge problems that the world is facing. So I think that's really important. And also to give, to give those organisations permission to... Um, to, to try out new things is, is just so important and not to be stuck in their boxes because of certain funding criteria. What do you do when you're not working and, and not focused on philanthropy? Well, you know, I've still got a young family, so they take out quite a bit of my time, so hanging out with my kids. Um, but I do love nature and I love um, being outdoors and going for hikes or swimming in the sea or all of that type of stuff. That's been so wonderful to move back to New Zealand actually and reconnect with our beautiful country. Um, I don't think I realised how much I missed living by the sea until I moved back. Um, in fact, it was only in the UK, I, I realised after we moved to 
uh, a town called Berkhamsted, only after I looked on the map after a while, um, that it was, it was the next door town was the furthest most point in the UK from the sea. And I became extremely depressed <laughs> about that fact. Yeah. So now I live in Wellington, which is right by the sea. So yeah, I spend a lot of time doing that. As I sit on a board uh, of another trust, um, Thank You Charitable Trust, which is great, which I do in a bit of my spare time. Yeah, what do they do? So they're really great. They're a tiny organisation, but they're connected to Thank You Payroll, who are one of the payroll providers here in New Zealand. But they, and they, uh, we distribute their, um, uh, some of their charitable funding, essentially, but they do it in a really interesting way. So it's participatory philanthropy. And essentially what we do is we select um, usually three different regions around New Zealand, go into those communities. And for the first year, it's sort of a more traditional application process, assessing the applications and making grants. But from the second year onwards, the grant recipients who got funding in the first year all come together and they assess the applications for the second year and they decide as a community who should be supported and how much funding should be given. So it's like micro grants, they're pretty small grants, usually under $3,000. Um, but it's a really wonderful, I love being part of it because it's just great to sit in a community hall and watch these discussions from the community members about, you know, oh, I think the play centre perhaps should get a bit more because of X, Y, Z, or shall we give more to the, the firefighters or, you know, there's really interesting conversations to be had and, and handing that power over to the community to decide is really exciting. Advice to anyone who wants to, you know, move across from the corporate sector or is, you know, leaving university, what would be your advice in carving a career like you have in the well, let's call it the third sector and give ourselves a UK moment. <laughs> um, I think getting to know it first is really important. So, I mean, I went into it from university, but I volunteered while I was at university and that, that certainly helps just getting an understanding. I think for people coming from the corporate sector, it is really great if they can do um, a, a volunteering role or possibly even sit on a board if that's a possibility to get to know organizations first um, it's it's quite a different environment I think people moving from other sectors think that there's a lot of preconceptions about you know the third sector or the charity sector um, around how we how we do business if you like and a lot of those preconceptions are are not right so it's quite useful to get a bit of an understanding first by coming in to visit or volunteer or get your hands dirty in some way so I think I think that's a way to do it and also just um, you know be humble and, and start with whatever needs doing I think I think is the way forward um, but I started out straight from straight from university and I just was lucky I volunteered and I um, landed a role at the Forest and Bird Society actually was my first job after volunteering there um, which was a great introduction because I just started doing membership, um, sort of um, basically being a membership administration officer and, and worked my way up from there. And I, and I think, I think um, also always keeping in touch with the, the end cause is really important. If you're in a, uh, particularly if you're in more of a marketing role or a managerial role, to go out on the open days, to go out and work with the volunteers. That's just so important because that's where you see the real work being done. Yeah, 
I totally agree. And I, I think, you know, um, getting some experience in the field that you feel most passionate about or the cause that you care for the most is, is a good way. Um, how do you draw inspiration? Do you have um, mentors, whether the people that you know, or do you, how do you inspire yourself on a sort of weekly, daily, monthly basis? Well, I have a great, a great um, team. We've got an amazing board of trustees um, of seven, and they are a great inspiration. Um, so it's certainly there's mentorship there. Um, and have a great team of colleagues, well, tiny, we're a pretty bespoke team. Um, there's three of us essentially in the office on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's really wonderful to have good colleagues around you. But I also connect in, so I'm part of, um, there's a wider philanthropic community. So I go along to uh, meetings with the Wellington Funder Group, for example, which is really useful. And there's certainly, I do try and catch up for coffees with people in the philanthropic community and grant making community just to to get some inspiration um so yeah a range of different ways i think i'm doing a great course at the moment actually which i'm getting a lot of inspiration from that's um with an organization called the mind lab so nice to give them a shout out they're yeah. based here in new zealand and they do um the course i'm doing is called leading change for good and it's essentially um looking uh, it's designed for leaders or people that are wanting to be leaders of organizations and who are in the for purpose space and it's looking at all sorts of interesting models like including um, indigenous to our maori perspectives uh, on leadership um, so i'm finding that really fascinating one tip that you give us like something you've learned from that course recently oh gosh well i've only just started it but i think so far the kaupapa maori sessions have been amazing and it's just shown me how little I knew I mean I grew up in New Zealand but obviously spent so long away so reconnecting to um, I think the seven principles of um, kōpapa Māori the, the principles behind the worldview is really fascinating if you look at it from a leadership perspective um, you know I think of some of the concepts in um, in the Māori world that most New Zealanders are fairly familiar with, but we don't look at it in terms of how it can work in our organizations sometimes. And I'm finding that really interesting. So the idea of whakawhananatanga, um, getting to know people, building trusting, long-lasting relationships, um, kind of building a whanau, a family, but in a work context, I'm finding that, yeah, quite inspirational. Yeah, I 100% agree. Well, as we move towards wrapping up um where do you hope the gift trust will be uh in five years time ten years time well we're growing so that's that's fantastic and i i'm hoping that we will um reach a point where we're um not just operating at the moment we tend to operate for fairly large philanthropists which is great who are doing really good work but i'd sort of like to almost democratize philanthropy and to be operating at all different scales um, and to be helping those donors really just to, to have the most impact with their funds. So that's where I'd like to see us. We're also, I haven't mentioned actually, we're also doing a little partnership initiative uh, that we're running called the Gift Collective. And that, that helps on the other side. So it actually gets um, charitable organisations um, sitting under our umbrella that aren't registered charities. And it means that they can access funding. So I would love us in five years time to have grown that and to see that doing exactly the same thing where we're 
making efficiencies for the charitable sector without having all of them in the startup phase having to go through the registration process to become a charity. Um, so Makes yeah, sense. growth yeah. and just just helping more donors to be more efficient. And do you own that growth kind of largely, or do the are the board own the, the kind of growth? So you eight million want to turn it to sixteen million? Are you under the pump to grow it? Uh, we are. So we have ambitious plans. We see that getting to, um, I think our target is actually, you've hit nail on the head, I think it is about 17 million in around five years time, which which actually we should be fairly on track to. Um, and it's on me, but it is on the board as well. So yes, we have t- ambitious but realistic targets, I think, and the board are really um, crucial in that as well. Wonderful. Well, good luck with that. And Master, thank you for joining me on Purposely. Thank you. Thanks so much. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing, because I sure do.